this morning, um, I am going to just take a minute here for, um, for us to catch our breath, for us to center again around Jesus of Nazareth. And then we are transitioning into our time in the scriptures. And, and we've been, um, for the last two weeks, and this is the third week, um, we've been in a, um, a short stretch where we've had this kind of ongoing family conversation. Um, and I understand family conversations has that connotation to it that um, most of us, when your parents told you when you were young, we're having a family conversation, the next thing said wasn't very positive. Um, so not in that connotation, but in the, the kind of sense where there's just some things that we can only talk about when we choose to take time intentionally to, to talk specifically about what's going on inside of our church. And so that's where we are. If you're here for the first time, um, welcome to it. Um, if you have been with us for a while, welcome as well. Um, but really just being honest with you this morning, this is kind of a non-sermon sermon morning as we wrap up some of these core ideas about who we are, what we're doing, and what's next for Church of the City. So as we get into that, what I'd like to do is just take a minute to slow and pray. Uh, for us, prayer is less transitional um, and it is more orientating, meaning we have life going a million different directions. And we're not asking you or directing you um, to, to not think on those things. Those things are important. Your life, um, your pains, your joys, all of it. And yet, there's something about Jesus that draws our attention to him. And intentionally, uh, this morning, prayer is an avenue to focus life again in that direction. So if you would, let's pray to that end. God, this morning... I'm grateful for the opportunity to be in the same space with these people. There's a lot of things we could be doing with our time, a lot of places we could be, and yet this morning, together, we are doing our absolute best to, to rearrange life in pursuit of you, following you, following your ways and your hope, God, your ethics, your values, and ultimately um, what you've given, which is love. So God, this morning, as we, as we journey together further, I pray, God, that you'd be in the mix of all of it. This wouldn't be a, um, an exercise in futility as we get together, but God, it would be something where we actually come face-to-face -face with you um, in a way that maybe we haven't for some time. God, uh, we understand our limitations, and at times it feels like we're just left with, uh, with no power to pursue you. So God, I pray if our souls are in that position this morning, that, God, you would draw us to yourself, that you would step into our story and meet us, take us by the hand, and walk forward with us. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. We, for the last couple of weeks, have been talking about um, Church of the City and specifically what it means to be a church that's wrapped up in the mission of God. Um, now, if you've missed this, all of our content is online. Um, you can go to our website under the sermons tab and listen. And I highly encourage you to do that if you haven't um, been with us. Um, and even if you have, if you need some, some refreshing what we're talking about, please go back and revisit that. I'm going to give a little bit of a snapshot of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. But today, specifically, we're moving in a direction that I want you to be ready for. And we've been talking about this. Um, so if you've been hanging out with us, then... Um, Maybe that's why you're here today, and also might be why a bunch of people aren't here today. Because we today are talking about the way the mission of God influences our finances. Now, if you have been with us, basically, um, the concept is, is this. That God is up to something on earth. He's not a God who is um, absent from earth. He's not some watchmaker who set everything in motion. 
clicked it on and let it run. He's not a God who is micromanaging everything happening on earth. He's this God who has a relationship with the people of earth. And the intention of God is to have relationship with people, to be in some kind of intimate relationship with people. Now, we'll go back and revisit that in a second. But bear that in mind as we talk about today what it means to be a group of people wrapped up in that mission. A lot of us, I think, have been lulled into thinking that our understanding of the way the church is or the way God is is that God isn't all that interested in us. And so we, we might have these um, dangerous ideas like God is, um, is absent and, and just doesn't care at all about us. He, he is unaware, and if he is aware and he understands the pain we're going through, then he's malicious. And that just isn't true. The reality is God is a God who's relentlessly been participating in the human story. And it culminates in the flesh and blood arrival of Jesus on earth. He wants to get in the dirt with us, in the mix of humanity, in order to enact his mission, in order to accomplish what he set out to accomplish, which again, is relationship with people. Now this, this reality, this concept, it drives everything that we experience as people who are trying to understand who God is. Now, for a lot of us in Christian communities in the past, and maybe even the present, we, we have some erroneous ideas about what it means to be a churchgoer or be a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, whatever your language that you prefer is. And usually there is a set of written and unwritten expectations and rules of every church community, like written rule, we have church at 10 a.m. Sunday morning at the West End Ballroom. You should be there. Uh, unwritten rule, if you're not there, you're going to get judged for not being there. You understand how this works, right? So we have some written concepts. Here's what's going on. Here's the expectation. Here's what we're doing. And then there's a whole other layer of things that become really, really dangerous and caustic to us as we participate. And the glaring issue is many of the things that we have adopted as Christians, forms, rituals, practices, while in and of themselves are not bad, oftentimes they're not associated with the mission of God. They're somehow divorced from what God is doing on earth. We, we create this whole other like, group of things to be done or to feel or to experience that have very little to do with God's activity on earth. Now, if you remember last week, I laid out three different layers of mission, and we walked through three different passages in the early church uh, narrative coming from what we call the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And, and these are the three layers. Go back and revisit it again, but I want to put them in front of you for this reason, the first layer of mission that we see people as they wrestle with and participate in what God's up to on earth is they start dealing with their materialism, with their issues of the tangible, and, and recognizing there's a connection between what they own and the mission of God, that God's up to something, and so it demands some real practical, tangible participation. And I would classify this as the easiest layer of mission, even though it's pretty difficult. Um, I'll be blunt about that as we get into this. We talked about last week, the second layer. We talked about our very selves, who we are, this concept that we, um, we actually have um, time and talents and we have resources to give in order to, to be a part of the mission of God. And it demands something of our assessment of what we're good at, what we want to be good at, what, what the church needs, what the people around us need, what our neighbor needs, what our family needs, and leaning into it. And then this third layer of mission is this concept of um, being a part of the growing edge of the kingdom, seeing it reproduce, sending out our best people to leave and start a new Christian community elsewhere in Portland and across the world. Now, the, the one we skipped over last week is one we're focusing on this week, this one that I would say is easy in, in relationship to the other two. 
It's easier because for many of us, it is easier to, to write a check than it is to spend time doing something. And that's a, that's a symptom of our society. That's not true for everybody, but for many people, it is easier to, to phone in our participation somewhere than it is to, to actually get involved. However, even phoning it in and just writing a check to be a part of something, um, it demands something of us. And more importantly, it ought to be attached to something more substantive, something richer than just feeling less guilt, feeling like I checked off a box, like I participated in the rules that were written or were unwritten. So this morning what I want to do is I want to start there. I want to start with exploring this concept of the mission of God as it expresses itself in our possessions and in our finances. And I, I want to do this um, in, in a way that I haven't really done before, so bear with me if it doesn't go well. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make some really, I, what I feel like are straightforward and honest points. And I'm going to try to help tie those into this concept of the mission of God. My first point is this, that if God is relentlessly committed to the mission, then shouldn't we also be just as committed? Now, let me remind you of what our, our running idea is for the mission of God itself. Here's my definition for us. God is relentlessly committed to whatever it takes in order to establish, maintain, and extend intimacy with humans. That's the mission of God. God wants intimate relationship with people. Everything he's done, creation, restoration after the fall, connection to people like, uh, like Abraham, the people that come out of him, a group of people called the Hebrews or Israelites, like his connection to the law and trying to establish, here's what my moral and ethical code is so you understand what kind of God I am and the, the breakdown of you distancing yourself from me as people. The infiltration of the human story by God himself, taking off his godliness, putting on humanity, walking into our story, it all points towards this, that God is relentlessly committed towards intimacy with people. And I think for a lot of us, like you've heard me say in the last two weeks, we like that part of the mission of God. But the second part of it is that God includes us. That when we become the objects, when we benefit from God's goodness, that he wraps us up in it and he starts saying, now you join me in my mission to connect people deeply with me. There's this theologian from the 13th century, a guy by the name of Bengal. Uh, I love the one name theologians, it's like Prince. It's, all, it's just all you get, it's just one name. And he's this theologian coming out of what would eventually become France. And he said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That they found the source, they found the bake shop, and they found the baker. And it is one beggar saying to another beggar, I found the source, I found food. Now, this concept this, this theologian puts out there is, that one who transmits the concept, the idea of the source of bread is a part of the mission of the bake shop. You see that? You see how that works? You participate in it when you share that story, when you're part of attaching another person to the bakery. And this is how the mission of God works, that we are the beneficiaries of God's goodness, but for many of us, we stop there and we let that be the end. And it can't be. That's only half of the gospel story. The other half is Jesus says, now you, while you're going, make disciples the way you saw me do it. Give this away. Give away my hope, my love, my ways, all of it to other people. And all of a sudden, we become part of the storyline of the mission of God. So my question, if God is relentlessly committed to the mission, then shouldn't we be also? Secondly, 
Mission compels our buy-in, always. If we are part of something that is active and not just stagnant, not just arriving, showing up at church, getting our golden ticket, going to heaven someday, getting off the burning rock, if it isn't that, but it is a God who's actively participating in the human story and is doing something, and you're involved in it, and I'm involved in it, then it compels our buy-in. That it compels us to be a part of what's going on. Now, I showed this story last week. I'm going to read it real quickly here. It's in Acts chapter 4. This is how the very first community of Christians responded to the mission of God as they understood it. It says this in Acts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in them all, that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, when those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. In essence, what was understood in the early Christian community is there is a deep connection between what God's up to and our participation, and it came in the form of possessions. If there's needs, we're going we're to meet those needs among this community. If there's something happening that needs our attention, we're going to be a part of it. We're going to be part of it not just in the idea sense of a belief saying or, you know, we've got the stamp on the back of the hand that says we're part of that club. I'm actually going to buy in. And that's what mission does to us. If we really are on a mission with God, if it really is participating in his activity in the human story, then we can't sit idly by. And this is tragic, I think, for so many Christians. I have this conversation ad nauseum, meaning I get sick of this conversation. Please have it with me if you're having it. I would love to have it with you. But I get sick of it because it's so frequent for us as Christians, myself included. We get to these points in our journey with Jesus where we're just bored or we're tired or we're just kind of like feeling like there should be more to this, right? Like, is it just reading my Bible a few times a week and being in a Bible study and showing up at church on Sundays? Is that all that Jesus died and lived for? Is that it? And for some of us, it's confusing because it feels like it is. But it isn't. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth as an active king who's in charge and wants to see something good come to humanity. And he does it in the humblest of ways. He participates in the human story. He infiltrates and subverts our culture, our societies, our language, and he participates in our lives. That's a very active, robust mission. He died in participation with our sin issues and our sin stories and the consequences of death. And he resurrected because he was perfect. And his perfection couldn't be contained by death. And as he walked again among humans, being the only person who's resurrected permanently at this stage, he offers hope. You guys, that is the gospel story. And it is so much richer and so much deeper then please show up at a church on Sunday at 10 every week of your life. And if we're part of this mission, it compels more than just nodding our heads and saying, okay, yeah, I, I'm going to show up. I'm going to write a check. I'm going I'm to do a few things in my life and hope that all, all pans out in the end. Mission compels our buy-in. Point three, mission moves us away from law and duty and towards generosity and joy. I want to read a passage to you, and then we'll come back and talk more about this in a second. I want to read this passage to you. It's, a, it's a, a pastor writing to a church. His name is Paul. They live in a place called Corinth. And this church is, it, basically the best to describe it is, it is 
um, a church that came out of a place much like Portland. Corinth is a, a tragic place, but a beautiful place. It's got a huge amount of mess and a huge amount of beauty all at once. It was a shipping port. They literally um, would bring boatloads of people over to be used as slaves, as um, indentured servants, as concubines. It was, it was a messy, tragic kind of place. And yet, the gospel gets a foothold here. And you can imagine how that works, is you get a bunch of messy people trying to follow Jesus, and it's, it's wonky, right? It isn't perfect. And so Paul's writing letters, trying to help encourage them into what it could look like to follow Jesus in this place and time. One feature of this particular church is they are wealthy, and they're generous. And this is what Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians, second letter he writes to them. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity result in thanksgiving to God. Now just pause here for a second. Do you notice that Paul, as he's talking about their relationship with their money and people around them, he isn't writing any kind of law down for them. All right, make sure you give away 10.5% of all of your income. Make sure you give away 17%. Make sure you give away 6%. He doesn't say that. Make sure you give away $1,000 of every 10000 you make. He doesn't say that. He uses language of generosity. In fact, in the whole New Testament, so everything Jesus and forward, everything talked about is in the language of generosity, not in the language of this is the dollar amount you've got to give in order to be a part of a church. You, you get the sense that priorly under things like the law, when they're being told you are going to give a tenth of your of your resources to the priesthood to take care of the priest, take care of the temple. The shift into this way of living is quite different and quite radical for Paul to be saying, be generous and your generosity is producing something, something good in you, something that wasn't there before. He goes on, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul's point to this church is your generosity is changing you and changing the people around you. It's producing something different in you. Not law, not obligation, not duty. It's producing joy and thanksgiving your obedience, your willingness to give away of your possessions to the people around you is making a difference. Mission moves us away from law and obligation and towards generosity and joy. Now, I would love to stop right here and focus the remainder of our time on this topic because I think there's a whole conversation or series of conversations to be had about this. And we'll get to that um, as a church community on down the road here. But we need to move forward. And I, I want to move forward into um, my fourth point, and this will take us in a different direction. I want to talk about us, our church, our mission, and our time. You see, all these concepts, while true, they don't necessarily have to be translated in, into our situation. What I mean by that is, it's only if we pick them up do they become true of us. And that's the case for all of us in anything we do. Regularly, I meet with people over the course of the last 15 years of ministry who are in, invariably at some point going to get frustrated with the church that they're a part of. And that happens, and that's legitimate. We're humans, and there's friction, and that's, that's okay. And quite often, the source of people's pain inside of church communities is things aren't going the way they want them to go uh, on some level. 
And quite often, it's a preference issue. I would prefer it to be different. I would prefer that music to be different. I prefer you to teach differently. I prefer that person not to be as annoying as they are. It's a preference thing. And the issue, quite honestly, comes down to one simple idea. The church you're a part of will never be the church you dream it to be if you're not a part of it. It's plain and simple. That this church will become whatever it becomes based on who's involved. And if you commit to be a part of a community of people, any community of people, but if you commit to be part of a church community of people and are willing to participate in it, to give yourself to it, to give your ideas to it, your creativity to it, your finances to it, your time to it, your talents to it, it will become better because of that participation. But I will, I will predict and I will hold myself this prediction. It will never become what you dream it could be if you're not involved. It just won't happen. That, that's an impossibility. And so we have these decisions to make on what, to what extent will we bring our very selves to the table of the church that we're a part of. Now, I, I've said this before, but let me lay this out for you in real basic terms. Um, we are a young church. Um, we are very young. So young that at times um, it, it kind of scares me how little we have um, developed as far as like systems and resources and ideas. We have enough. We are a church community. We have enough to be stable. We are a durable church start. And yet, I've said this a ton of times, the church half a block from us is 160 years old while we're barely three and a half years old. That's a, that's a big difference. That church community has had a long time to figure out the way they practice life, the way they do life in Portland, the way that they structure themselves. And we're still, we're still putting some of those things in place. And yet, still, it doesn't abdicate our responsibility that this church will become whatever it becomes based on our involvement. I had a conversation early on. Uh, one of the other leaders um, who helped start Church of the City um, and who's still on our leadership team, um, and I were having a conversation about it, and none of this existed. We didn't, there wasn't chairs, there wasn't a room, there wasn't gospel communities meeting across the city. We didn't have any of that. We were just in that moment of, of looking forward to whatever would come next, whatever God was up to next. But the idea, the kernel of it, was in front of us, that we were committed to seeing a church start that could contribute to the gospel coming to life in Portland. Now, as we're committed to that, we're having this conversation about what if that goes wrong? What if, what if this doesn't work out? Which, anytime you start something, that's an invariable conversation to have about it, right? Like, this could not go the way that we expect it to go. And, and I, I made the comment um, to this other leader, and I said to him, um, you know, it, it, may, it may end up that we have to, um, to do something else with our lives. This may not go forward. Like, it may not actually come to life. And he said to me, well, they'll have to pull it out of our, out of our dead, dying hands if that's going to happen. And I, there's some issues I have with that particular statement, but the sentiment was so well received. At that stage, he was expressing his commitment to do whatever it takes to see the mission of God accomplished through this particular expression of church, through this community of people, well before you ever had contact with it whether for any of us understood what God was doing in this moment, and definitely well before what we understand what God's doing in the moments to come. It's that kind of relentless commitment for us that's necessary if we are going to take up 
the onus to be this church in this place at this time. I was, I think, seven or eight when I, in my neighborhood, was on my bike and noticed something sitting on the street. So you do what everybody does. You go over and you pick it up and, just, and figure out, is it, worth, um, is it worth keeping? It was an envelope. And anytime you find an envelope, it's, it's an exciting proposition, right? Anything could be inside that envelope. I opened the envelope, and inside it got run over by a couple cars, so it was like tattered and a mess, and I was thinking, money? It was close. It wasn't money inside. It was someone's checkbook and check register. Do you know how happy I was at that moment? I was thrilled. I'm mean, seven or eight, right? Like, I've, I've learned to read. My mom, by the way, she was a banker, and she made my sister and I keep a, a register for our allowance. Like, that's how committed she was to, like, keeping things in order. So at that age, I was already had my own checkbook register for my allowance. Um, so I, I was excited, and I was excited for this reason. It's gossip. I was excited to see how someone else spends their money. Now, I had no idea who this person was. Didn't have any clue what their life was like, what their capacity was. I didn't even care about the checks. What I was stoked about was the register. I went through page by page trying to figure out in their scribbled handwriting where they were spending their money. You know that feeling like when someone like, that gives you a clue like how much they spent on something, like they bought a car and they actually told you how much they spent on it. You're like, oh, I'm on the inside. Now I'll judge you, but now I'm on the inside. <laughs> or a house, or a jacket, whatever it is, like whatever someone has in their world, like that feeling of like, I'm on the inside knowing. Well, as a church community, um, our leadership, we value that kind of transparency. So today, what I want to do is I want to give you a glimpse into the checkbook register for Church of the City. I want you to see, not just in theory, what it means to be this church in this place. I want you to understand what it means to be this church in this place practically. I want you to understand not just the idea and concept but brass tacks, who we are, what we are, where we are, as we think about what God's doing next with us. So I like images. Um, and so I've put this into images, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat it with this. Um, I totally understand if you don't geek out over this, and that's okay. You don't have to. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out, and I'm going to give us a landscape view of what's going on in our church. I'm going to do it for a reason, okay? And you'll, you'll, I think you'll see why as we, as we build this. In 2013, um, my wife and I moved to Portland, Oregon, with the, the concept to start a church community. Uh, we came from a fairly large church in Boise, Idaho, and one of the things that we, we knew we needed to do was spend a significant amount of time in Portland getting acquainted with the city. My wife grew up in the area. I did not. We wanted to spend time here becoming citizens. Very cool. The issue is no one pays you to do that. Uh, no one says, hey, come to a place and just hang out until you figure out what it's like. And so we knew that we needed um, some financial support. So we, as missionaries, support raised some money um, to be here in Portland to the tune of $20,000. So the very first year, 2013, um, for Church of the City, that was the operating cost for Church of the City. Now what I've done here in blue is I've, I've indicated where that money's come from. Every single one of those dollars came from somebody who wasn't a part of Church of the City. You understand? that there is someone who believed in the mission of God expressed through this church before they could see it to the tune of $20,000 to say, we believe this could happen. So we're going to put some money out there to see if it'll happen. That we were, we were given um, the responsibility and the privilege to live life here in Portland in order to figure out what life is like here. That was our first year. The second year, 2014, was a different year for Church of the City. Uh, we didn't have a name yet. In fact, we were committed to not having a name or a brand early on because we wanted to see if, well, could we follow the ways of Jesus and see if a church comes out of it? 
And so uh, we did things pretty light. Uh, we had um, a bit more finances going towards uh, our staff. At that stage, it was me. Um, we rented some venues, meaning some coffee shops. Uh, we did some events, meaning some uh, parties, hanging out with neighbors. And that was about it. That year, our budget was $70,000 uh, to be a church community. And at that stage, we had between 10 and 20 people. And again, in blue, I've indicated the percentage of money coming from people who are outside of Church of the City. People who believed in this idea, this concept of putting flesh and bones on and incarnating the gospel in Portland in a new kind of way, expressing it through new individuals. To the tune of now, we have $90,000 committed to Church of the City before a single person is baptized, says I'm a part of that, before we hold any musical service where we have worship or teaching or preaching, simply to what is it going to take to put people in the right place to see if this could come to life. And every single one of those dollars was raised outside of us. We didn't put that money on the table. Now, the third year, things get interesting. This is when we went public. Uh, we rented this venue. Um, we started holding more services. We brought on some more support staff, meaning some bookkeeping. Um, we pay a little bit to our worship. Uh, Brandon, passed, Brandon is our worship pastor, to our children's um, upstairs, Cheryl. Um, and I came on full time uh, as, a, as a pastor among us. Um, at this stage, our, our budget balloons, right? It doubles. I mean, we have bills here um, in our ballroom. Uh, we started renting a small office space here in downtown. We start doing more things like guerrilla um, marketing, where we want to get the name of Church of the City out among the people of downtown Portland. And all those things begin accumulating costs for us to be a church. Now, again, in blue, I've indicated the amount um, of money that, of that year's budget that was committed by people outside of this church. And the amount in red is the amount that's come through people who are now a part of Church of the City. So we're at that stage split. A quarter of the total amount of money that we needed to be a church, to be this kind of church in Portland, was raised inside of our community. The next year, 2016, um, things grow again uh, financially. We bring on um, some more support staff. I don't know if you understand it or not, but planting a church in downtown Portland is tough work. Um, and the needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, relational needs of people began being pretty heavy on our leadership team, which was a lay leadership team, which means they weren't getting paid for their work, and me being a paid pastor, being on staff, but trying to hold things together. So we brought on some support staff, including Sarah Godding, um, that year um, as a pastoral resident, um, as well as some additional back-end support for, um, our, for our admin needs. And you can see um, that while the budget grew to 180000 that year, so did our capacity as a church um, to take up uh, and own a healthy chunk of what it would take to be a church. We were pretty close to 50-50 split that year. The amount of money that we internally committed to this mission and people from outside of our church committed to this mission. Now, this is how it works in church starting world. In most cases, what you're looking for, and this is a startup in a lot of businesses too, is you're looking for an infusion of something like cash um, or other, other resources that are needed to start that organization or start that idea um, for a short period of time until it can become self-supporting. One of the things we're committed to at Church of the City is being a church that will stand on its own feet financially, leadership-wise, where internally we, uh, we have leaders here who are able to, to take the direction of the church, who are humbly able to serve you as people, um, and as, as such, a congregation, a group of people, a community of people who together believe that this is the church that 
God has asked him to be a part of on mission in Portland. Now I want to go to the next two years, and I'm going to put them side by side on the screen, actually. 2017 and 2018. 2017, we actually, um, we, we drew our budget down a fair amount, um, to the tune of about $20,000. And we did that because we recognized that we needed um, to be a, a bit more responsible with our finances. We were beginning to lose support of outside um, people, meaning they had said, man, we've been supporting you for a long time. Um, are we going to support you forever? And the conversation was had, I hope not, but can you stay on with us? And many did. Um, they still believe in what we're doing and why we're doing it, how we're doing it. Um, but necessarily, the need was there for us to say we need to own increasingly more of, um, of what it means to be a church in Portland. Now, 2018, things shift a little bit. There was a church that has been a partner of ours who came alongside Church of the City and said, we think you need more staff. We think you need um, to hire on more people to help lead and guide this church. And so they gave us an infusion of, of cash for that particular cost. As that sees, you see that in 2018, our budget got pretty big uh, to the tune of $230,000. It was time bound, it was short, short time frame. Um, but they looked and said, uh, Russell, you're dying on your own and we need Sarah to be on more and we need you to consider an associate pastor. We hired Ian um, this last year. Um, the, the issue with that is while it's so good to have those resources, it means our budget got really big. And it meant that, as a whole, it became less sustainable. If you notice, it swung the other way. In blue, in 2017, is the amount of outside support, 45%. In 2018, that went up to 56%, and the budget's bigger. So the reason I lay all this out there for you is to be really plain. The landscape of what it means to be a church of what it means to be a church that owns its place in the city for the last five years has been going on the trajectory of our budget getting a bit bigger every year and us taking care of about half of the financial needs of what it means to be this church in this place. But we're at it. We're at a crossroads financially as a church. And here's what I mean. We're at a stage now where many of those supporters outside of church of the city are saying, um, we really want to encourage you to stand on your own feet that we have been cheering you on, we've been on your side, we've been on your team, and we now believe that you're capable of this. And I, as an individual, believe the same thing. Our leadership at Church of the City, we believe the same thing, that it's time for us to increasingly hold this particular part of what it means to be a church in Portland. I wanted to put this in front of you just so you understand where our expenses are going, um, just briefly, that as a church, um, we basically have three categories of where we spend our money. And our budget's open. If you want a copy of it, I'm happy to give you a copy of it. Um, if that's something that you'd geek out over, fantastic. If not, this is the short-term version of our budget. Um, we give away 15% of every dollar that comes to Church of the City. Um, and we do it in, in the three different areas. We're committed to seeing new churches start in Portland and beyond. So we give 10% of everything that comes to Church of the City away into church planting. We do that responsibly. We're helping start a church in East Portland right now, um, and we're committed to seeing more churches start in Portland. Um, we give 2.5% away locally, just to needs here local. We partner with places like Howard's Heart, uh, which is one of our nonprofits we're working alongside of to help teens who are in the foster care program. Um, we, we find needs locally, um, or needs come to us, and we have some money for that. We give 2.5% away internationally, saying we want to commit to the expansion of the kingdom globally, and we're committed to that. But 15% of everything given here, and we're committed to that generosity no matter what. 
uh, we've put ourselves in that position because we believe as a church we have to embody this kind of generosity if we're going to see the kingdom go forward. So basically it leaves two other categories, personnel and hard costs. I, I'm committed. I think the next most important aspect for us to be spending our money on is that besides generosity is taking care of the people serving at Church of the City, taking care of the people who are owning the responsibility of leading and guiding, being spiritually and relationally, emotionally available to this church. So we want to take as good a care of them as possible. The next costs are hard costs. It costs money to rent this room uh, every single week. It costs money to have the office space that we have. It costs money to print things. It costs money to do basic business practices in order to be this kind of church. There's nothing that says we have to be this kind of church. In fact, the next slide, I want to project 2019 for you. Um, We basically have two different options coming at us for this next year. Um, And it entirely depends upon what we want to be as a church and what we want to do as a church. Option A is a picture of really leaning down our budget. Now, both these are leaning our budget down. We're going to do that this year. We're committed to durability as a church. We're committed to being um, transparent with that. And that means our budget's going to get smaller this year than it was last year. Um, in option A, um, we would really tighten things down. And basically, this option is if nothing changes, if the amount of money being given uh, through uh, Church of the City stays the same, if we have the small amount of support outside of Church of the City that we have currently right now and that doesn't change, um, then this is the amount of money we have to work with responsibly. And, and for us, that's $120,000 next year. Now, in retrospect, that's, that's a big cut. Um, it means that we've got to make some hard decisions. First one is we're going to stay generous at 15%. We're always going to do that as a church. But um, all of our staff would go down to 60% pay or less, depending on um, what we, we have to do, because that's our biggest cost as personnel, meaning we've got less time and energy um, to, to invest in what is going on among this community, but we're committed to it. Again, it's a whatever-it-takes situation. In fact, already our staff team has taken some cuts and is intentionally um, putting money back in our account to say we want to be ready for 2019. Uh, we would consider a leaner staff if we had to, uh, meaning we may have to cut staff if, if necessary. Um, that we would have to, in this situation, we'd have to leave this ballroom. We couldn't afford to stay here. And most likely that would mean that we would go to a, um, a church building here somewhere in downtown. We have a couple of different relationships that might work. Um, for cheap or free, but usually that'll be an afternoon or evening time frame for us. So changes that way. Um, and we would leave our office space, our creative space. Uh, we wouldn't be able to afford that either. But these would be the hard decisions to be made as a church community going forward if, if nothing changes. But here's the thing. I think things are changing. I think things are, and the trend line is that things are growing. We're growing as a church. You're growing in your generosity. Together, collectively, we are growing in our generosity towards um, the mission of God here. And so we've we've laid out a second option. Um, We're calling it option B because we're creative like that. Um, The first first one, again, generous. We're committed to being generous um, no matter what. Um, That we would ask our staff without cutting any personnel um, to operate at 70% um, of their budget or of the finances, uh, meaning either taking that cut and still working the same hours or taking that cut and having to get other employment during those hours and both would be okay with us. Um, and then we get to stay at the West End Ballroom. But this particular, um, this particular option, it demands that we choose to take on the responsibility of owning the financial burden of being this kind of church in this kind of place. It means that as a church community, we can't solely depend 
on the generosity of people outside Church of the City cheering us on if we're going to continue on forward. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time, and it's just a couple minutes, is, is I want to, to lay out the so what of today. And it's, it's going to be, um, I don't know, it, it might be painful for us. But I, I, I get the sense as we've talked through this as a leadership, as I've been praying through it and preparing for this particular conversation today, I get the sense that we're ready for it. I get the sense that this church is ready to take more responsibility than ever for the financial burden, for the, the time and talent burden we talked about last week, and the burden of starting new churches than we ever have been. That we're committed to the mission of God in a way that I have never seen a group of people committed to the mission of God. So here are my practical takeaways. First one, it's going to take our relentless commitment to this mission. And it's a question I asked the very first week we started this conversation. You have to ask and answer the question. Are you committed to the mission of God? And are you committed to the mission of God here? And if you answer no, that, that's fine. That's okay. I mean, I would, I would love to have a conversation with you and, and try to dig into why that is that situation. But it always comes down to this for us. We always have to decide, do the values, does the intentionality, does the mission, even do the preferences match my disposition, my view of what God's up to in the kind of way where I can buy in to that thing. And church world is no different than that. That if, you, if you're looking at Church of the City and saying, you know what, it just doesn't make sense to me. Let me give you permission. That's okay. Maybe some more time. Decide if, it, if you need to spend more time to figure out what's going on. If you already know what's going on, and you're still saying, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the mission of God expressed through that group of people. Then I would love to help you find a group of Christians that you can deeply invest in and follow Jesus there and get behind that mission and that vision and their expression of it. But functionally, as a group of people committed to the ways of Jesus here in this church community, we need you to ask and answer that question. Are you committed to the mission of God and are you committed to the mission of God here. Secondly, tangibly, our leap is in the neighborhood of $2,500 to $3,500 per month in order to not have to go down the road of option A on our budget. Meaning that we average as a church about 75 people um, every single weekend. And it isn't that true that giving is exclusively tied to weekend. In fact, we're kind of a weird church. The majority of our giving um, comes through online giving. Um, which is on our website. If you want to engage with that, you're welcome to. Um, but functionally, typically we're trying to figure out um, what, what financial load a group of people can take if they're choosing to be generous in a place. And we measure that by how many people are showing up on a weekend and how, how much money comes through per person per week. Um, and our church averages about $20 per person per week. That's kids and adults. So if you're a family of four, the, the accumulated grand picture of what our church does, if you're a family of four, um, you're, you're, you're contributing about $80 per week to the mission of God here. That's, that's our average. That doesn't indicate whether or not you are participating in giving any money. Um, it simply is a statement of what's average for us. Some of you are quite generous, and some of you are still figuring out what generosity looks like, and if you want to be generous, or if this is a church that you want to get behind. But functionally, in order to make the leap from leaving the Western Ballroom and cutting our staff pretty significantly, um, it comes to the tune of about $2,500 to $3,500 per month. On average right now, our church contributes about $8,500. Um, that's, that's our average giving month right now. 
Um, and in order to, to move into a little more security and durability, we have to consider increasing that. Third, we're committed to the ways of Jesus in Portland, no matter what it takes. And I put this in here for this reason. It is um, a little bit daunting to look at a budget and, re and realize that that might sabotage the way we get to be a church or the way we get to express the mission of God, at least in the way, in the way that we've been doing it. But more than that, wrestling with and dealing with these challenges, they're really energizing. The challenges of being individuals in a community of people committed to what God's up to and dealing with any kind of diversity that comes, any kind of challenge that comes, that's energizing. That's exciting. And even the prospect of, of our staff team's finances dropping, for instance, of not being able to pay our staff full. Um, and personally, my, my, my livelihoods invest in that as well, full disclosure. It, it's actually a pretty energizing idea that we would do whatever it takes to see the mission of God come to life here in Portland. So no matter how this goes, no matter if we have to leave the West End Ballroom, we're not giving up on being this church. Even if we end up not being able to pay our staff or having to take staff cuts, we're still committed to being this church, expressing the mission of God in Portland, loving our neighbors, loving our family members, loving our friends. We're committed to that. So the last thing I did is some practical considerations. First, consider giving for the first time. If you've never given to a church or this church, consider it. Consider what your role, what your responsibility, what your relationship with generosity would look like here. Consider increasing your giving. Maybe you're giving already. And maybe you're giving to make your conscience feel better. Uh, maybe you're giving because um, out of that gift, uh, you actually find some joy. Maybe you're giving because you believe that you need to give in order for the mission of God to go forward, whatever your reasons are. Consider increasing your giving. Asking and answering the question, to what extent can I continue to be generous or more generous in this church? Consider giving part or all of your tax return. Tax season's coming up, our favorite season of the year as people in the U.S. No reply, no joke. Wow. That's how much you hate tax season. Fair, okay. Um, but consider giving off your tax return. Um, part of it or all of it. Consider giving off a part or all of your dividends or profits. Maybe you're selling a home. Maybe you have year-end dividends coming through stock. Maybe you have something else that's building money or wealth for you. Consider being generous off of it. Consider giving $5 per week per person in your family. And I put this out here. In our church, if every, this is stupid math, it doesn't work out this way, but if every single person in our church gave $5 per week, um, every week, whether you showed up at church or not, um, we would have our budget met. That's the simplicity of this kind of budget. $5 per person per week. Now, that doesn't work out because not all of us can give $5. And it's $5 in addition to what we're already giving. So family four, if they give $20 per week in addition to what they're already giving, they would be holding their part. The issue is all of us are different places with this. And we all need the time in order to evaluate how we can participate. And some of us have more means than other people. And so all I have to say, um, while that math works out, it's not reality. But maybe it's a place to start. Whatever you're giving right now, maybe the place is considering, can you give $5 more per week um, in order to see the mission of God expressed here? And the last one I put on here, because we had no time to address this, we were talking about a very small portion of what it means to be generous, is consider giving generously to the people around you. 
this whole conversation around the financial needs of our church to be our church is only one part of that conversation. The reality is we encourage, and we've had this conversation with many of you, we encourage you to include in your generosity the needs of the people around you. Many of you are part of a gospel community, and some of your gospel communities are pooling money together to meet needs around you. Many of you have people around you who are dealing with things like homelessness, with um, health issues, with bills that are unpaid, um, with needing food or resources or basics, and you're contributing there. Well done. That is a part of what it means to be a generous person living the ways of Jesus in Portland. So keep doing that. It's a whole other conversation to be had um, when we get into the practical pieces of giving. But here's what it comes down to today, is that we are a church, a group of people committed to the ways of Jesus in Portland, period. And yeah, there are parts to be talked about, like our finances, that they aren't glamorous. I mean, today is no, like, nice bow at the end of a sermon, make us all feel great, let's walk out of here a bit more joyful about the way things are. Um, it's, it's, it's numbers. It's, it's resources. It's budgets. No one gets excited about budgets. And yet, it's a crucial piece of the picture. It's a crucial piece of the picture of what it means to be this church in this place in this time. And so my encouragement to you, as you now have full view of who we are, what we are, is to ask and answer the question. Are you committed to the mission of God? And are you committed to the mission of God here? We're going to transition uh, into our next uh, segment. And Rhea's going to come up and lead us in that in just a second. But we have a moment every single week um, that we collect an offering. And a lot of times I think that can be misunderstood. Uh, we try to make it really abundantly clear. Our goal is not to guilt you or strong arm you or force you into doing something you're not ready to do. And even after a sermon like today, I'd like you to take a gut check. That's not our intention. It's not my intention. I'm not here to try to guilt you into something. I am here to try to faithfully put in front of you what it means to be this church in this place and for you to consider it. And so today, if you're, if you're just split on this, please let that bucket go by. Uh, same thing uh, as every single time that we collect an offering. We're not doing this because you're obligated. Um, for us, we're committed to the ways of Jesus, which include generosity and joy, not duty and obligation. So I'm going to turn it over to Rhea. She comes forward. Thank you for your time in the last two week, or last three weeks um, and for your understanding and for your awesome questions as we've walked away from all of this. It has actually been my pleasure um, as, a, as a leader and as a servant um, among you to be able to walk us through um, this material. So thank you and blessings on you.